one of my major pet peeves in life is to hear the gospel explained as what I call the poor, pitiful Jesus gospel. Now, you've probably heard the gospel explained this way, but you didn't know it. In the poor, pitiful Jesus gospel, it goes something like this. Jesus came to earth and he did nothing but good for those that he came into contact with. Despite all the good that Jesus did, he was betrayed, he was rejected, and he was murdered on a cross. Poor Jesus. Now, the gospel is not a story of a poor, pitiful do-gooder named Jesus that was murdered because he angered the wrong people. The gospel is the story of God invading earth in the person of Jesus Christ for the sole purpose of paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. The gospel is a gospel of a victorious Savior. Now, the difference between the poor, pitiful Jesus gospel and the gospel of a victorious Savior is huge, and it has practical implications in our lives. The result of believing the poor, pitiful Jesus gospel is that we live poor, pitiful Christian lives. When we live poor, pitiful Christian lives, we live woe is me instead of joy-filled lives. We live worry-filled lives instead of peace-filled lives. We live defeated lives instead of overcoming lives. We live like victims instead of like victors. We, when we live the poor, pitiful Christian life, we live far below what Jesus wants us to live. It's like a story I once read. It said many years ago, a couple saved their money for many years in order to move from their native country to the United States. Finally, when they had enough to buy their tickets and with some left over to purchase cheese and crackers and the like to eat on the long voyage, they came across. And as they neared the coast of America, someone asked them why they were not eating with the rest of the passengers. They were surprised to learn that the price of their tickets included three good meals a day. And yet there they were eating cheese and crackers. In my mind, this illustrates the way the poor, pitiful Christian lives today. Poor, pitiful Christians barely scrape by. Poor, pitiful Christians survive but rarely thrive in their spiritual lives. Poor, pitiful Christians live defeated and discouraged lives. If you're here today and you believe a poor, pitiful Jesus gospel and you've lived a poor, pitiful Christian life, I have good news. There is more. Open your Bible to the, God, uh, to the book of 1 John chapter 5, page 943. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 this morning. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand up to honor the reading of God's Word. The Apostle John writes, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The title of the message this morning is, I Can Overcome. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, today we want to know what your word says. We want to take it and apply it to our lives. Father, we want to lift up our sights to see the great and the glorious Savior and what he has done on our behalf. We want to understand, Father, 
that we are meant to live a life and life more abundantly, not a defeated, discouraged, downcast life. Father, help us today to understand that Jesus did not die on the cross for us to live defeated, but so that we could overcome. Father, today, fill this place with your spirit and your glory. Let us know that you are here. Let your Holy Spirit take your word and make it living and active in our lives to strengthen us where we need strengthening, to convict us where we need convicting, to challenge us where we need challenging and to change us where we need changing. God, do what only you can do today in our hearts and in our lives and in our midst. And as we leave here, let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have met with the living God. We are his people. We are going to live the way He declares we're supposed to live. And we ask all of this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. But you may be seated. Now, these verses, they're all about believers overcoming and living in victory. And according to John, all those who are born of God overcome and they live in victory. Now, John says this is to be the normative way we live our lives. But it's not meant to be the exception. It's not meant to be the occasional. This is meant to be how we live once we've been born again. So the main truth to understand today is that believers are born again to overcome. We aren't born again to be poor and pitiful. We aren't born again to be downcast and defeated. We are born again to overcome. This, This is a life with all of its abundance that Jesus said That he came to give us. Now, if we have believed a poor, pitiful Jesus gospel and we have lived a poor, pitiful Christian life, this will require a shift in our thinking. This will require us to adjust our lives accordingly. So to overcome the way that Scripture says we're supposed to overcome, it requires at least three things from us. First, we must believe Scripture. But believers are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. We are not enslaved to our sinful nature. We choose whether we yield ourselves to fulfill our sinful desires or whether we yield ourselves to Jesus to live for his glory. We are able to choose to resist our sinful nature and live for Christ. The believer in Jesus Christ does not ever have to live in sin, but can and should live in victory in their lives. Now, those statements are all based on biblical truths. But despite what Scripture says, many people, many believers do not live this way. Many believers do not experience this sort of victory because they really don't believe what Scripture says. Now, let me just show you a few of the verses that those statements came from and, and just mention quickly what they might mean for us. Right? In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus, or through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here he says that God gives us victory, and that victory comes through Jesus Christ. Right? And the idea is that believers in Christ, we are, we are meant to be victors all the time. Now, that doesn't mean we don't struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it doesn't mean that we don't have a hard time in fighting it, but it means that we fight from a position of victory and not defeat. But believers in Jesus Christ, we are not poor and pitiful and powerless, just struggling to get by. 
God, the almighty creator of the world, has given us victory through Jesus Christ who has conquered all. And we get to be a part of all that Jesus has done. Let me ask, do you believe that you are meant to be a victor through Jesus Christ? When you, when you encounter a spiritual struggle, do you expect to overcome or do you expect to be defeated? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we teach our kids this so they won't say that I can't. But as adults, we ought to take it as well. Because what this says is we can do anything that Jesus wants us to do. Right? Anything that is His will and His want for our lives, we can do always. And it is clear in Scripture that Jesus wants us to overcome. He wants us to have victory. He wants us to overcome the world. Therefore, we can. Let me ask you, do you believe that you can overcome? Right? When you begin to deal with a spiritual struggle, do you believe, I can beat this? That because of what Jesus has done and my connection to Him, I can overcome. Paul also says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, dead to sin, it means in part that we're dead to its power. Again, not that we don't struggle with it, not that we don't feel its pull, but we're not enslaved by it. Our sinful nature cannot make us do sinful things. We are dead to that. We are alive in Christ. We do not have to give in to our sinful nature. When you feel the pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil leading you to do sinful things, do you believe that you cannot do those? Or do you automatically assume it's a foregone conclusion, I'm going to do it in the end? Do you believe that you can overcome? This goes along with Paul saying we are Debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Not that we're not debtors to the flesh means that we have no obligation to fulfill the desires of our sinful nature. But we, we have that nature, and it pulls. But when that pull happens, as believers that have been born again, we do not have to give in to that. But when the sinful nature says, come and do this, you and I, we can say no every single time. That, that's what it means. We have no obligation. We do not have to give in to that desire. Do you believe that you can say no to every sinful temptation and pull that comes into your life? And finally, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Part of what it means to be a more than a conqueror means that we don't merely survive the struggles of this life, but we're victors over them. But th this life is often hard. The, the suffering hurts. The struggles are real. But none of that defeats us because we are conquerors through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that in all things you are more than a conqueror? Through Christ, who has loved you. Uh, let me ask you a question. Are, are you convinced that you can overcome like Scripture says that you can? 
Or have you resigned yourself to living a defeated life? But in your mind, is failure a foregone conclusion? Now, you may think that's not that big of a deal, but it is. If you're convinced that failure is inevitable, then it probably will be. A Christian that sees defeat as, a, as inevitable is far more likely to give in to sinful temptations than a believer, a Christian who believes they are meant to overcome despite the struggle. But if I'm convinced that I'm going to fail, why try against it? Why resist? Resisting is hard. But fighting against my sinful nature is not a fun thing to do. And if I'm going to fail anyway... Why put up with all that goes into fighting against it? Why not just do it and get it over with and move on down the road? And that, that's going to be our mindset. If we accept that we're, suppo- we're, we're just going to fail, that's, what we're going to do. that's what's going to happen. Now, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm not saying, oh, I can do it. I'm strong and I'm great and by golly, people like me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical thinking. I'm talking about taking Scripture at face value. That when Scripture says, I can do all things, that what it means is, I can do all things. I'm talking about believing Scripture. That when it says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world, to say, that means me. I've been born of God, therefore I overcome the world. I mean, do you believe what Scripture says, and I don't mean in a general sense. Yes, the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it. Do you believe it in a practical, day-to-day, you personally way? When you look at these verses, when you look at that, do you say, that's, that's not just Christians, that's, that's me. I am not a debtor. I am more than a conqueror. I overcome the world. Do you believe what Scripture says about you personally? Live a life that overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil. The way you answer that question will, in a lot of ways, determine whether you live an overcoming life or a defeated one. Now, if we choose to believe Scripture, and these things are all true, face value, this is me. And part of what goes along with that is we have to give up the victim mentality. You know, the victim mentality, it basically says, I, I can't help it. There's nothing I can do about it. This is just who I am. This is how I am. This is what I am. The victim mentality is a slave mentality. It is a defeated mentality. And the person with that mentality will never, ever, ever overcome. And if you want to live the life that Scripture says you're meant to live, you have to let that go. And again, this goes back to believing Scripture because Scripture talks about our being free of these things, that we're not slaves to those things. To give up the victim mentality, I must truly believe that I am born again to overcome. I must accept that defeat is always a result of my choices. And that's hard, right? And that's probably why we like the victim mentality. If it's not my fault, you can't get mad at me. If it's not my fault, poor pitiful me, I get to feel sorry for myself. But if I'm going to believe Scripture that I am born again to overcome, that I'm more than a conqueror, then what that means is every time, not not most of the time, not a lot of the time, but every time 
I sin. Every time I'm defeated, it's because of my choices. I chose it. I intentionally chose it. And that's a hard thing to do. But if we want to be overcomers and believe Scripture, that's what we have to do. We have to give up the defeatist mindset that says, I, I can't help but sin. There's just nothing I can do about it. That has to die. That has to go away. That is an unbiblical mindset. It is not found in Scripture regarding those who have been born again. Those who have been born of God overcome the world. They have victory and they overcome the world. That's what Scripture says. And it must, that, that defeatist mindset, it must be rejected. We must believe Scripture that we are born again to overcome. Secondly, we have to fight with victory in mind. Now, while Scripture promises that we are born again to overcome, it does not promise that there won't be battles to fight and that it won't be difficult for us to deal with. The overcoming life is not a life where I just don't have any problems and I don't have any pull towards sin and there's nothing that ever happens in my life. The overcoming life is the, is the life that says, yes, I feel that pull. But because of Christ and because of the Spirit of God within me, I, I can do what I'm supposed to do. I, I like this verse. This verse here, it may be one of the most critical verses in understanding what it is to live an overcoming life. Right? The defeated life, it's the life of the flesh, it leads to death. But the, the overcoming life is a life that leads to, well, life. But notice what, how do we get to that, that life? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I like this because it gives us the dual aspects of how victory is, is found in our lives. Right? On the one hand, there is the Spirit. Right? The power of the Holy Spirit within us. He, he helps us. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He leads us. He convicts us. He, he does all of these things to help us overcome. But by the power of the Spirit, what do we have to do? Put to death the deeds of the body. We have to fight. Now, the picture of put to death the deeds of the body, this is a, a picture of a bloody battle to the death. Right? Because what Paul is saying is, if we don't put to death the deeds of the body, then we're going to live according to the flesh and we're going to die. Something's dying. And it's either we're dying by living to the flesh, or the flesh is dying by the power of the Spirit and our fighting against it. This is a hard-fought battle. But, as we fight the battle, the Holy Spirit enables us to do far more than we would have imagined we could have done on our own. Again, victory is assured... Because the Spirit of God is greater than the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? Greater is He that is in me and He that is in the world. And it's important that we understand that when we look through Scripture and we see the great battles that were fought, the great victories that were won, you see this dual aspect always. There's what God did and what they had to do. Let me give you just a few examples that you can study on your own. We'll have to go through this quickly. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Now, that's a, a great victory. 
Right? They, the very first and going into the promised land. But what did they have to do? Well, first, they had to walk around the city once a day for six days. That's what God told them to do. Then on the seventh day, they had to walk around seven times and yell at the city. The walls fell down. Then they had to run in there and fight. But in the end, the Bible says God gave them a great victory. Right? In order to win that battle, it took both the power of God to make the walls fall down and their obedience to walk and to fight when the time came. Right? They, and they, they overcame. Later, there's another example in Joshua, the, the battle against the coalition forces. Joshua gets word that some people they had made an alliance with are being attacked by a, a group of nations that are coming against them. And in order to win this battle, here's what they had to do. They had to march all night. And then when they got there the next morning, they immediately began to fight. And they fought all day. And as the day went on, God rained down hailstones on the bad guys. And and the Bible says that God killed more with hailstones than they killed with the sword. And then as the sun was going down, they prayed for the sun to stand still. And God made the sun stand still and they continued to fight. And in that, you see, there's, there's what they had to do. They had to march all night. They had to fight all day and on into the evening. And then there's what God did. He rained down hailstones. He made the sun to stand still. They could not have won without the power of God. God would not have done it had they just sat down and done nothing. At the same time, we find the battle against the Philistines. 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan and his armor bearer. They determined. They've had enough sitting around. They're going to go fight the Philistines. And they come up with a brilliant plan. Jonathan says this. We're going to let them see us. And if they say come up here, we're going to climb up the mountain and just kill them all. I figure what God's going to do. And so they show themselves. And the Philistines say, hey, look, the Israelites have come out of their hidey holes. Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Jonathan says, hey, that's it. God's going to give us the victory. So they climb up a hill and then they begin to fight. And as they begin to fight, God sends the Philistines into confusion and they begin to turn on themselves. And there's this great victory that God wins. But it begins with Jonathan climbing a hill and actually fighting himself. Jonathan couldn't have sat at the bottom of the hill and said, God, kill them all, and God done it. He wasn't going to do it that way. At the same time, without God, Jonathan and his armor bearer certainly could not have won the victory. And then the final one is just David and Goliath. David wins a great battle, but he wins the great battle because God fights for him. And in all of these stories, in all of these cases, it requires that combination of God and man. It requires what we saw in Romans chapter 8. We fight with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just what we do, but at the same time, it's not God's going to do it all. Let me, I want to say something now, and I want to be not harsh, but I don't know, I think it's going to sound harsh, so... I love you and God loves you too. Kelly tells me always to say that before I say something that sounds harsh. Many times what we do is we just want to pray. Oh God, help me to overcome this spiritual struggle. Help me to not lust and not gossip and not judge and not be a jerk. And then we want God to do it all. And we say things like, well, if God doesn't want me to act this way, He would change me. God will... 
when, when God's ready for me to be different, I'll just be different. We don't want to do anything. And we're trying to sound spiritual. We're just waiting on Jesus to change us. But here's, here's what's harsh and here's the truth. That's really just laziness. Uh, to say, God changed me while we don't do anything, that's not spiritual. I'm just believing that God's going to change me one day. But until then, that's not faith. It is one thing. It is laziness and nothing more. And spiritual laziness is guaranteed defeat every single time. I mean, because there's probably some in here and you've, you've done that and you've worked that out in your mind. I just want to ask you, how has that worked for you? Has your not doing anything but praying, has it fixed, changed, helped, enabled you to overcome in any way? Probably not. We are born again to overcome, but there's a fight that we have to do. There's things that we have to do in order to overcome. If we are not willing to fight, we are not really wanting to overcome. A pastor that I listen to sometimes, he said that most of the time, what's true of American Christians is that it's not that we want to be saved from sin, it's that we want to be saved from the penalty of sin. It's not that we want to live holy lives, and it's not that we want to do God's will. We just don't want to go to hell. And that mindset is guaranteed to be defeated. If we want to overcome, we have to fight. But we fight not from a position of defeat. Position of victory. We fight with victory in mind. And then thirdly, we have to believe in Jesus. But for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, what is it to be born of God? In, in verse 1, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him, loves Him who begot, also loves Him who is begotten of Him. So, everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Verse 5 says, Who is He that overcomes the world but He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? As with everything else in Christianity... Everything rises and falls on Jesus and our connection to Him. When it gets right down to it, this is where really it all has to start. We have to believe in Jesus. Now, when it comes to believing in Jesus, we have to understand that there are right and wrong ways to believe about Jesus. Now, to truly believe in Jesus, it requires us to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. This is how God has revealed Jesus to us. And when we think about who Jesus is and what we must believe, there are at least four truths that, that we see in Scripture that we have to believe to truly be born of God. First, we have to believe that Jesus is God. But he wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. He is God in the flesh. And the Bible is filled with testimonies about Jesus being God. In one place, Jesus said, John chapter 10, he said, me and the Father, I and the Father are one. Right Now, what happens is the religious leaders, then they begin to pick up rocks to kill him. And Jesus says, for what good thing are you going to kill me? And they say, not for doing a good thing, but for blasphemy, because you have made yourself equal with God. His enemies understood he was saying he was God. And there's a whole lot more, but Scripture's testimony is clear that Jesus is God. And any, any faith or any belief that does not affirm the full deity of Christ, it must be rejected. If we want to be born 
of God, we have to believe that Jesus is God. Secondly, we have to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, the false teachers that John dealt with in this book, they had a weird view of Jesus, right? First, they didn't believe that he was God, but they, they understood that he was something supernatural. He was more than a man. Right? They denied his humanity, but they also denied his deity. They, they kind of saw him as some sort of superpowered angel. And in John chapter, 1 John 4 and 2, John says that to deny the, the humanity of Jesus is to deny Jesus. And, and that's a critical point. Right? It's not just that we believe that Jesus is God, but that Jesus is God in the flesh. That he, he came to us in that form. We have to understand that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And if we ever seek to, to downplay his deity, to emphasize his humanity, we make him less than he is. And if we ever seek to downplay his deity, to emphasize his humanity, we make him less than he is. He was 100% God, 100% man. That is the miracle of the incarnation that our finite minds cannot fully comprehend. And any teaching that does not affirm that truth, it must be rejected. We must believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. We also, we have to believe that Jesus died for our sins. Uh, to believe properly about Jesus, we have to understand what his death symbolized. He wasn't a martyr. It wasn't poor, pitiful Jesus. He came with the express purpose of paying the penalty that our sins deserve. Right? And, and there is a, a personal aspect of that. Right? It's one thing to say that Jesus died for the sins of the world. The world's pretty bad sometimes. And surely the cross and what happened to Jesus, that, that's bad for the world. But what we've got to understand is, Jesus died, He died for my sins, He died for your sins. What happened to Jesus, it happened because of me. What happened to Jesus, it happened because of you. Right? And if I can't say that my sins are so bad that Jesus had to die for them, then I haven't embraced this particular point yet. And I haven't been born of God. I have to personally say that what happened to Jesus, if I was, I guess there's a song, if I was the only person in the world, then Jesus still would have had to have died for my sins. It wasn't the whole world that made what happened to him necessary. It was just me alone. You and I, we have to say that that was for me. That was because of me. And any any belief that doesn't make it that personal, that has anything less than Jesus dying for our sins, it, it must be rejected. We must believe that Jesus died for our sins. And then the final is we have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is the greatest proof that Jesus was who he said he was and he could do what he, could, what he said he could do. If Jesus just died and stayed dead, he wasn't that significant. The Romans killed lots of people. They crucified lots of Jews. What makes Jesus significant isn't his death, but it's his resurrection. Without the resurrection, his death was meaningless. Without the resurrection, Jesus was just a guy who claimed to be God and had some strange ideas. Jesus died 
And then he rose from the dead, never to die again. We have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Any belief system that denies the the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ must be rejected. We have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And just to drive home the point of how important Jesus is, look at 1 John 4, 3. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already coming in the world. And there's a lot with the idea of Antichrist that I'm not going to get into, but just notice that any spirit that does not confess sound doctrine about Jesus is not of God. It is opposed to Christ. It is against Christ. And that's a huge thing. It doesn't matter how sweetly someone can talk about Jesus. If they don't affirm that He is God, that He is God in the flesh, that He died for my sins, that He rose from the dead, it is something that is against Christ that is motivating them to say that. It is not God and the Spirit of God within them. The person that does that is not Born of God. Now look at First uh, John chapter five and verse fourteen, fifteen, thirteen. Or actually eleven and twelve. Lost my place. That's what happens when you lose your place. And this is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Right. So everything rises and falls on Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. If we get Jesus wrong, it does not matter what else we may get right. We miss it all. We are not born of God. We do not have life. And we will not see life in eternity. Above all else, make sure you get Jesus right. Do you believe in Jesus? You are not born again to overcoming unless you believe that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus died for your sins. And that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's all stand as our musicians.